Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening, Telluride. Thanks for tuning in to your community radio station, KOTO. This is indeed Off the Record. I am your fill-in host for the evening, Laura Colbert. And our topic tonight is the wolf reintroduction in Colorado, which is happening very soon. If you'd like to call in with your questions or comments, the number is 970-728-4333. I have two guests this evening. I'm joined by Ernest Haust. Ernest Haust the Senior Policy Director for the Keystone Policy Center. That's the organization that the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Division has contracted to head up public engagement on this issue. And Eric O'Dell, the Species Conservation Program Manager for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He is the biological lead for the agency for the Wolf Restoration Project. Thank you for joining us, both of you. Thanks. Thanks for the interest and for having us here. Thanks, Laura. Okay. Sorry about the delay. A couple uh, technical difficulties there, but I think we are good. Um, you know, Ernest, I'd like to start with you uh, just to give people a little background. Can you just talk about what the Keystone Policy Center is and what is your role? Absolutely. So the Keystone Policy Center, we're a nonprofit organization headquartered in Keystone, Colorado. We have an office in Denver and an office in D.C., and we work in facilitation. Uh, we work in policy work across different sectors of federal, state, local government with organizations. And our whole uh, really objective is to bring different perspectives to the table to uh, strive to seek a common higher ground. And uh, we don't have a position on the wolf issue. As facilitators, we are the neutral third party. We'd not take a position on Proposition 114. And uh, so we partnered with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife to launch this really robust uh, statewide effort, public outreach effort, which is just the first phase. But, uh, you know, Keystone, it really fits in. We're, we're a well-known organization that's been around since the 70s and doing this work uh, across the country. And um, we, um, we're, we're really honored to be in the position and, and look forward to the, to the conversations ahead. And Eric, can you talk a little bit about your role? You're the Species Conservation Program Manager. Uh, what exactly is that? And what does it mean to be the biological lead on this project? Right, so so thanks. And, and Ernest, is, it's great to have him on and the Keystone team on to, to help us through this this whole process. So I'm a Species Conservation Program Manager within the agency. And, and you know, many of you know of Parks and Wildlife as the hunting agency or as the, the fishing agency, but we do a lot more than, than just game species and, and hunted species. We do have quite a bit of focus on, on the non-hunted, the non-game species as well. And uh, in, in that role, I, I manage all of our non-game or non-hunted uh, carnivore species. So that is the lynx program, which those of you in, in Telluride are probably well familiar with. Uh, lynx. Maybe some of you have been fortunate enough to to see lynx in the wild. Also, our river otters and and some led some of our wolverine discussions in the past as well. And so now, with the ballot initiative 114 that passed in the November 2020 election, uh, the wolf reintroduction, wolf restoration program is is something that I'm spending the vast majority of my time on now. And 
and working on that from the from mostly the biological from the the, the technical side of of things so thinking about uh, a whole bunch of different kinds of factors about how to successfully uh, and productively reintroduce wolves to colorado and just for some background for those of you who are listening uh, it's been a fairly eventful year so this might have uh been one of those things that um, you you might not remember, but uh, on the November ballot, there was a question about whether or not to reintroduce the gray wolf to Colorado, and it narrowly passed, uh, passed by a margin of 1.82%. And what that means is that the Colorado Parks and Wildlife is now mandated by the Citizen Initiative to come up with a plan to introduce the wolves by the end of 2023. It's December 21st, 2023. Is that correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. That's a short timeline. It's it's a quick timeline. There's a lot to get done and, and not a whole lot of time. So where do we start? What What's the first thing uh, that you're doing? Well, I'll, I'll start out and then let Ernest pick up in, in some of the details. But you know, what we're doing right now is is a, a very, as Ernest said earlier on, a, a very robust public input process. We we don't have a plan. We don't have real specific ideas on on what this restoration is going to look like, how to reintroduce animals, and, and then how to manage them once they're here. And, and Ernest is leading the, the public process to to do that. Uh, to help with that as well as the public, we've also got um, some some expertise developed in some teams. We've got a stakeholder advisory group and a, and a technical working group that bring to the table uh, years and years from the technical side of things, uh, years and years of, of experience in wolf reintroductions that have happened in the Northern Rockies in central Idaho and in, in the Yellowstone National Park, uh, as well as wolf experts from, from other parts of the country, state wildlife agencies and others that are helping us put together some thoughts as to what, what this might look like. And just last month, uh, it was announced that there was a gray wolf pup sighting for the first time in 80 years in the state. But I'm assuming that doesn't mean you can throw your hands up and say we're done here. <laughs> no, no, far <laughs> not from quite that. enough. I mean, <laughs> no, it, what, one one breeding pack does not a population make, right? So we need we need several packs well distributed around the state. And so yeah, we we have documented a, a pair of wolves that have naturally migrated their way down from. Uh, we know that the female came from from Wyoming. It was a, a collared animal that had been uh, collared up in in just outside of uh, Grand Teton National Park, actually, and made made her way down. And and then, uh, as we were flying for that animal, we, it has a radio collar on it. As we were flying for that animal, our pilot and biologist noticed a, another animal with it, and, and we collared that animal, and were able to document that they they paired up, bred, and and now we have pups on the ground. But like you say, that's only one one pack, one breeding pair, uh, and and the the ballot initiative really requires us to establish a, what we're calling a, a self-sustaining population. So it's it's much more than than just one pack. What does the self-sustaining population look like? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. We don't have you know there, there's there's going to be a lot of technical questions I, I anticipate to to come through on this, but uh, there's not a lot of answers to to many of these questions, and we're really going to rely on both the the public input process that that Keystone is leading, uh, as well as these this technical group and the stakeholder group to to advise on on what they is the technically uh, justifiable, a technically robust plan, as well as something that's socially and, and politically acceptable. So we don't have recovery goals. We don't have what that numbers or, or metrics is what we kind of call those things when we say, okay, this is this is our goal. We, we have not established those yet. So that's a lot of that is still to be determined. So it's a blank slate for better or worse. 
you don't you don't have a roadmap you're making it at, at this point in time <laughs> we we can we have yeah we have the the, the universe is in front of us on uh, of opportunities on this uh, now Ernest you are helping head up the public engagement side of things how much does the public get to influence this roadmap this process you know, no, that's a great question. Oh, sorry. I was sorry, just going to say, sorry. the. I know the mandate is for wolves to be reintroduced <clears throat> into the western part of the state, the western slope. Um, but beyond that, do do does the public get to pick and choose which forests, which mountains, which plains? Well, that's a great question. I think that's exactly what we're encouraging folks to come to our open house is to hear more about. You know, and, um, all these questions Eric has said how many, where, all these things have not been identified, they're still in conversation. And when we at Keystone got engaged with the process, we we want we were advocating for a robust public outreach process at the beginning of this conversation. And so this is a unique opportunity. There, There is no draft for the community or the public to respond to, but we're looking for what the thoughts, what the concerns are from livestock owners to recreationists to um, wolf advocates to across the board what it means um, to to you and your community uh, if you voted for it if you didn't wherever you are on the issue we think that as you said it's a blank slate and it's a great position to start in so we can take this feedback to these both stakeholder advisory groups and technical working groups that are diving into these questions like Eric just said and so through this process how we're starting out phase one is 40 plus meetings focused on the western slope but yet throughout the state we started last week in steamboat basalt this week we're in southwestern colorado i'm in cortez right now um fortunate to be in southwestern part of the state where i was born and raised grew up skiing telluride and i think that what's unique to the southwest is going to be unique to the northwest is going to be unique to central colorado and in the san luis valley and so these these 14 open houses like we're going to have in Montrose on Wednesday night, which I know you're going to talk about in a little bit, are three-hour sessions. The public can come at any point in time. They're going to be able to have four stations to go to about engagement, education, and outreach, wolf restoration, wolf management, and livestock interaction. So the farmer and rancher that's worried about, they're concerned about depredation, has questions about that, will be able to have that conversation and share those concerns. The individual that's worried about what the restoration and management looks like from a recreationist standpoint, or the men and women sports, uh, the anglers and, and the hunters out there, all these are meant to capture uh, that that type of feedback and that type of concern. And so we wanted to to go across the state. Um, like I said, we just finished in, in Cortez. We've done tribal outreach as well. We'll be in, um, in, in Montrose and then Basalt and then Gunnison and then back to the Northwest next week. So we really do uh, encourage folks, wolfengagementco.org is the website. I'll be plugging that all night long. So folks know that wolfengagementco.org is where if you don't get a chance to come and visit us at a public house, Go on this online forum. You'll be able to see everything we're sharing in the public houses, public um, uh, opportunities, so you can share your concerns, thoughts, or questions. Yes, and tomorrow's is a, tomorrow Wednesday the twenty first is from five to eight p.m. at the Montrose Field House. That is the next meeting and the closest meeting. I'm sure there'll be more. Correct. And uh, if you can't make it to Montrose, call now nine seven zero seven two eight four three 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 with your questions about wolf reintroduction 
Um, let's go back for a moment and talk a little bit about the status or lack of status that wolves currently have in Colorado. When was the last time there were resident wolves in this area? So we, we like I said, we, we do have this this pair of this pack of wolves that are that are now in north central Colorado. Uh, and we've had a, another pack that was uh, briefly in, in Northwest Colorado. We, we think that that pack likely has dissolved at, at this point in time and is, is no longer present. Um, prior to that, the, the first b- before we had a, a really robust population was in the mid 1940s. And of course we've had other wolves that have made their way down from the, the populations that, that have been reestablished in the, the Northern Rockies over the last 20 plus years. Uh, starting back really to in, in 1997 is, is when one of our game wardens first uh, videoed a, a black animal that was never confirmed to be a wolf, but highly suspected based on the video and, and some of that. But it's it's been, um, you know, individuals here and there. It hasn't been a, a robust population. The, the last time that there was a, a big population in, in Colorado was in the, the mid-1940s, and, and that's when, you know, there was a, a very broad scale predator uh, campaign, predator poisoning campaign for, for a bunch of different reasons. And, and they, that, that campaign was very successful at reducing and eliminating wolves from, from Colorado. But historically wolves existed throughout the state in the Eastern Plains to the West Slope. I mean, there were wolves in, in every county of, of Colorado historically. And of course now we're, we're working on rebuilding that population starting in the West Slope. You say that the population was from the eastern plains through the western slope. So why is the introduction just on the western slope? Well, the the we're we're following the the ballot language that was in about in the initiative one fourteen, mm. and and what that does is it specifies that the wolf reintroduction will happen uh, in western Colorado, west of the Continental Divide, and and what's still to be determined is is how wolves are managed as as they spread and disperse and and. You know, I think it's it's widely accepted among the wolf experts and, and those that have been involved with other reintroduction programs that where you release the wolf doesn't necessarily mean that that's where it's going to stay. And so we're we're preparing for uh, discussions and conversations about how we're, we'll manage wolves throughout the state. So so the reintroductions will happen west of, of the Continental Divide. But after that, the, the ballot language, which is our now statute, which is what we're we're following, uh, is, is silent on where wolves go from from that point on. Well then, how about uh, where do they come from, <laughs> or do you where do you get these wolves to to reintroduce? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, we need we need wolf wolves to come from areas where there are robust populations, and there's lots of lots of conversations and and a, a suite of of places that they could come from, and, and we're considering all of that. That's that's part of the what the outreach that we're looking for now is is from hearing from the public, hearing from these technical groups and and the stakeholder groups. Again, no decisions have been made, but there's there's lots of uh, different kinds of, of scenarios to to play out and, and to think about. So we're looking, uh, you know, to to repopulate wolves in Western Colorado from uh, areas that have wolves to to spare that could come here and and be used to repopulate. Mm, housing costs are kind of high. It's going to be hard to sell. <laughs> um, the, so the wolves that will be reintroduced is this. Uh, I know there's a couple. Uh, there's a species, a main species, and a subspecies. And this is just I didn't say just, but this is a gray wolf, um, not the Mexican gray wolf. Is that correct? So that's that's a good question, and and it's a it's a, a nuanced question. That so the. Gray wolf everywhere in the United States in the lower 48, with the exception of the Mexican wolf, 
is all considered one one subspecies or one entity. Mm-hmm. The Mexican wolf is is a different issue and, and has a whole bunch of different recovery goals, uh, and and is identified by the Fish and Wildlife Service by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as a as a separate subspecies and as a separate entity. And really importantly, that the Colorado is not the historical range for Mexican wolves. And so, um, while there there are some that will make us an argument to uh, use Colorado for, for Mexican wolf recovery or use Mexican wolves to, to repopulate in, in Western Colorado. There's also some strong arguments as to why that that's a, a big challenge as well and, and some information. So those are all things that, that the technical groups will, will have to wrestle with a bit. We have a caller. I'm going to bring them up. Hello, you're live on Kodo. Hello. Uh, I have a question. Um, the Western Slope is growing in populations of humans. Um, and reintroducing the wolves has um, this cons- um, this variable been considered, and um, do you have some ideas of of how to increase the wolf population as the population of humans on the western slope increases? Thanks for that question. You're welcome. Eric, do you want to take that or? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't able to hear the question. Ah, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I forgot about the, the Zoom technicality. Okay. The caller was asking if, uh, it was, was talking about the fact that the population of people on the Western Slope is booming and growing exponentially. And do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, introducing wolves into an area where the the population is growing and habitat is decreasing, and how that is going to work. It, it's it's a good question and, and a very valid concern and, and something we hear quite a bit. And it's true, Western Colorado is different from uh, the the Frank Church Wilderness in in Idaho and Yellowstone National Park in in Wyoming and, and the whole Greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Western Colorado is different. Uh, that said, there are other areas where wolves have done quite well in in high human density areas. The Great Lakes is is one example. The Southwest is is a different example. It's not it's not equivalent to Colorado as well. So, having a, a high human density, human population density, certainly presents some different challenges and some different considerations for wolf management. But it also, um, so so it. it, it doesn't exclude it. I don't think. You know, I think that there are going to be ways to to deal with wolves and, and manage wolves in a in a high human density area. And Ernest, maybe that's something you could uh, follow up on. I'm sure you'll hear concerns in the public meetings from ranchers about cattle depredation and also uh, just regular suburbanites who are concerned that their four year old is going to get snatched up. Um, as they're walking the trail to the playground. I might be projecting slightly there. So uh, how do you address the wildlife um, and human interaction concerns? Or what do you do once you gather those concerns and that information and those opinions? How is it going to be aggregated? How are you going to use that in the process? Yeah, so after our first phase, this first phase we're in right now, public outreach process, these 40-plus meetings, these open houses, which wanted to clarify too in the Montrose uh, event and these open houses the three hours the public can come at any point in time you did not have to start you didn't get there by five o'clock you know um, doors shut or not or you're not going to miss anything These are ongoing. Oh, it's open house public, style from five to eight yeah, yeah. Oh, completely open house style and part yeah. of it is because 
you know, we expect people are, are just getting off work. They're trying to figure out what to do for dinner and, you know, what to do with the family, the kids, everything else. But I think the questions are the variety that, that we're hearing are exactly what the caller was saying of, uh, or requesting of what happens in certain areas when this happens. And, you know, clearly we're probably going to see themes in some of these um, concerns around funding, uh, public lands, whatever that might be. But that's a great question. And one of those that we collect and all of them that we collect and we will um, combine this information and share it with the stakeholder advisory, with the technical working group. So as they're developing the conversation with the plan and as it's being developed, maybe it's going to trigger a point of uh, one of these um, questions or concerns that have come up. Or if it's in a particular region that we're hearing something, we're also going to be following those types of conversations as well. And from a biological perspective, um, Eric, how, how do you answer questions about that, about, about wolf behavior? Uh, what, well, it depends on, on what the question is about wolf behavior. Is there a, a particular type of, of question? I, well, I guess, you know, the concerns about, well, one would be uh, cattle depredation, cattle hunting, and the other would be interactions with humans who, who yeah. have grown up with, you know, fairy tales of the big bad wolf. Right. Yeah, good good questions and, and important considerations. Part of the, the ballot language and, and what it, it requires, it, it specifies that there will be compensation for livestock losses. And so that's, it's, it's not, it would be naive to think that we can reintroduce wolves into Western Colorado and not have livestock conflict. We, we know that there will be livestock conflict. In fact, we've got a whole team that's going to be working on, on that and developing what uh, a depredation compensation program might look like to, to pay for the, to pay for the losses that somebody may have a producer may have suffered from li from the presence of wolves on the landscape but also importantly we're, we're going to have a, a really strong program on non-lethal what kinds of things can we do ahead of time what kinds of conflict minimization practices and programs can we work with and, and help to assist uh, producers to implement so that we can avoid conflict trying to trying to keep the problem from happening in the first place is is a really good thing i mean there's there's lots of people in, in the Northern Rockies that will say, you know, just having wolves on, on the landscape near cattle is, is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's the wolves that are conflicting with livestock, that are causing damage, that are causing problems. Those are the, those are the issues that need to be resolved. But there are lots of wolves in, in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, even Oregon, California, and, and Washington that, that exist and persist in, in close presence to, to livestock, or, you know, right around livestock and don't cause the problems. And, and those are the kind of wolves that you want to keep on the landscape. Those are the ones that, that aren't causing problems. And, and so those are the ones that, um, you know, are, are, are coexisting or, or uh, living well with, with uh, the producers and, and the producers living well with the wildlife there too. And so it's, it's, there, there will be conflict. We will have ways to address those issues. Um, and, and I think that that's a, a really important consideration and, and a comment that we hear quite a bit. The, the other question about, you know, the, the fairy tale rumors and, and on the myths of, of wolf behavior. I mean, human, human uh, conflict with wolves, direct human wolf conflict is, is very, very rare. It does happen. It has happened. Largely, many of those instances are cases where wolves have become habituated either from feeding or from some other kinds of, of habituation that the wolves have, have gotten on. But it's it's not a common occurrence at all. And, and many of the, the myths that, that are that persist are, are just simply not true on both sides. Right. There's I mean, wolves, wolves will have livestock conflicts, but they're not going to destroy the, the 
the livestock economy by and large. That, that's what we've seen in, in the Northern Rockies. Wolves will, will have impacts on ungulate populations, on the deer and the elk populations, but they're not gonna destroy and, and diminish those populations to, to bare minimums either. So so there's exaggerations on on all sides of, of the, the viewpoints in the spectrum of, of wolf management and wolf presence. If you're just tuning in, just joining us, tonight we are talking about the wolf reintroduction program in Colorado, and I am joined on Zoom by Eric O'Dell, the Species Conservation Program Manager for the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Division, and he is the biological lead for the agency on that project. And I'm also joined by Ernest House, Senior Policy Director for the Keystone Policy Center, the organization that CPW has contracted to head up public engagement. I'm your host, Laura Colbert, and please join in with your comments and questions. The number here at the studio is 970-728-4333. Well, what can we learn then from other states that have had uh, reintroduction programs? Maybe not states that have completely lost their uh, wolf, have always had their wolf population um, sustained, you know, just over all the years, but maybe another state that did lose its wolf population and then reintroduced it. I think Wyoming falls under that category. Is there anything we can learn from those states? Sure, quite quite a bit. I mean, in in fact, all of the states in in the Western U.S. have have lost. We're, we're down to zero pop, zero wolves. It, it was oh, wolves really? naturally recolonized into northwestern Montana just before uh, wolves were reintroduced. Not just before a couple a couple of decades, twenty years or so, fifteen twenty years before prior to the reintroductions. So the reintroductions were done not by the state agencies but by the federal agencies at, at that point in time. So the, the National Park Service reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone National Park, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has reintroduced wolves into to central Idaho. And, and since then, the states have taken over the management of, of those species. And there's there's lots to learn. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ecological knowledge to learn in terms of how wolves use the landscape. There's a lot of social uh, aspects to learn in terms of how you know people perceive wolves and, and how what, you know what kinds of practices people have learned to implement so that they can avoid and, and minimize different kinds of, of conflict as well and so we're in in real close contact with with colleagues and and networks throughout those the northern rockies and the west coast states to to learn about what they've learned in, over their their experiences over the last 20 years and of course the the wolves in california oregon and, and washington on the west slope those are or on the west coast those are all wolves that have uh, naturally migrated, naturally colonized into those states from those reintroduced populations, largely from Idaho. And it sounds like from what I've read that in Wyoming, it's been so successful, they've had to increase the the hunt for wolves quite a bit. That's, that's true. Yeah. So, so as the states have taken on the management authority for wolves in, in the Northern Rockies states, and, and they've been federally delisted there. And, and that's an important point is you know, a, a species that has federal protections that's listed under the Endangered Species Act is is obviously a, a species that cannot be hunted. And and in a, in a kind of a roundabout long long way, wolves were were delisted in the Northern Rocky states in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. And in each of those states, put together a management plan that was approved by the Fish and Wildlife Service, and and they've discussed how they will manage wolves in in those states. And and uh, Wolves are, are hunted a hunted species in in those three states. That's an interesting uh, point that I, I didn't make earlier is that it was delisted and, so, and the wolves were delisted and somewhat recently, just back in October or something like that. And and then management then goes to the states. 
That's yes, that's that's exactly right, and and it's it, it's a bit confusing, but it is that is the case. So wolves now in in Colorado, it used to be the case that a wolf that was in Wyoming was not a federally protected species, and, and it was under a very different management regime. It walking south, it crossed that state line into Colorado, and all of a sudden it gained uh, federal protections, Endangered Species Act protections. Well, in in uh, October, I believe it was of of last year of 2020. The Fish and Wildlife Service proposed to delist wolves throughout the, the whole lower 48, with the exception again of, of that Mexican wolf subspecies in Arizona, New Mexico, and Mexico. So in that that came into effect in early January. So in, in beginning in early January, wolves throughout the, the lower 48, including Colorado, are no longer federally protected. There is no Endangered Species Act status for wolves in, in Colorado now. And so we as the state wildlife agency are the, the agency that is given management authorities is the way that we talk about it. We're, we're the ones that make the, the management decisions on wolves in the state right now. Now I know that you are following a statute and it, it's the will of the voters, but uh, are you excited about this as a, as a biologist? Is this something uh, that you are looking forward to seeing in, in Colorado? Do you have concerns? Yep. Sure, is, it, so is, it, is it both? <laughs> Right, so so you know the 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 ballot voted and and we don't really care what the 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 margin of victory or the the margin of a passage was, uh, so it's it's state statute and so as a state wildlife agency, our our job is to implement statute, implement law, and so that's what we're doing. And and it's you know we're not in a process right now of relitigating. We're not we're not challenging any of that. And so the the. The, the voters have spoken and, and we work for the, the employee or the, the citizens of Colorado as an employee of, of the state wildlife agency. I work for the citizens of Colorado and and that's, that's what we're working on is, is implementing the, the will of the voters through the passage of the, the initiative. Yeah, but are you Eric O'Dell um, excited about this process or have concerns about this process? Well, I think that the, I, I think we've set up a, a really good process to, to get public input to make sure that we've got the best scientific uh, technical expertise behind us so that we have a we can put together a plan that's that's got very good uh, science backing it and and we'll be able to develop a program that is going to successfully reestablish wolves to to Colorado what happens when you uh, on a larger ecosystem level when you reestablish this apex predator what what do you expect to see Right, so that's that's a question that you, you get quite often. That this this thought of that you know, we reintroduce wolves and it will restore the ecosystem, and, and I caution that 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 may have been the case. That that may be demonstrated in in some ecological studies and in some very narrow, very controlled kind of systems, primarily up in in Yellowstone National Park. I I'd be very cautious to promise or or make any broad claims that the reintroduction of wolves as an apex predator, which they they certainly are will have broad ecological uh, effects in, in throughout Western Colorado. I, I don't think that that's, that's likely to be the case. It, it may happen in, in areas where there are high densities of wolves and, and over a long period of time, but that remains to be seen. That's, that's a research question that our, our, uh, our experts in the, in the research side of things will, will certainly be taking a look at, but it's, it's not something to expect uh, in, in short order, and it's certainly not something to expect on a broad geographic range. Uh, Ernest, when you have these open houses, I imagine that you are going to hear from folks on 
I hate to say either side of the issue. I mean, it, it's been voted and um, voted on, and I'm trying to to have this go to another vote and, and moving forward. Nonetheless, I'm sure you're going to hear uh, opinions from people who are very excited about the program, and those who are not. Um, especially since the vote did largely pass in urban areas, in the in the front range, and in the reintroduction is happening in more rural areas, on the western slope. So, what as uh, someone who is gathering opinions, do you say to those folks? Um, I know, again, it, it's, there's no going backwards, but what what can you say about about the process? Well, I think it's a it's a good question, and I think it, it leads right into what our response is, which is that we can't go backwards. That looking at other states, what other states have done, the successes, the failures. How can we make Colorado? Um, how, what can we learn from this? How can we make it work for Coloradans? How can we can ensure that process is, is there uh, every step of the way? And we, whatever, however we can draw those perspectives and opinions out. That's that's what our job is. That's what our team oh, we is have, setting out to do. We have another caller. I'm just going to pause for a moment and bring them on. Yeah. Hello, you're live on code. Didn't get him quite in time. I'm sorry. Go ahead and continue. And caller, please call back. Yeah, so I was just going to say that, that that's exactly the, the perspective that we want to hear. We know that they are going to be diverse, and they should be diverse. And and I think that's the information that we're looking to, to pull from different areas. And, and that's the whole point of this outreach process phase. And once it's done, once we take it to the group, then hopefully we can look and see what phase two looks like as you said mentioned earlier this has to be done by 2023 i'm gonna pull up this caller now yeah hello you're live on kodo hi i wanted to ask how do you protect the wolves from the ranchers and the livestock from the wolves okay i will uh, relay that question to our guests thanks for calling in okay the caller was asking how you protect um the wolves from ranchers and how do you protect the livestock from the wolves and i don't know if there's an answer to that well there there's there are some answers to that i mean well and i should go back and state too i i, I mentioned earlier that wolves are are federally delisted there, there are no federal endangered species act protections for the species but it importantly and and just as critically there are it is still a state listed species so so killing a wolf in the state uh, is is not a good thing to do. It's it's in fact illegal and and can result in fines and jail time and and loss of hunting and fishing privileges and and so on. So it's, you know, despite the fact that they may not have federal protections, they still do have have state protections. And so that's one of the tools that that uh, we use to to protect the, the species. There are a whole suite of of tools that can be implemented for uh, livestock protection and trying to minimize different kinds of. Uh, of conflict between wolves and, and livestock and it a lot of it does it deals with animal husbandry a lot of it deals with how uh as an example there's you know as, as livestock die which they naturally do removing those carcasses from the area to, so that you don't have something that's drawing predators in whether it's wolves or mountain lions or bears or, or any of these different kinds of things so some of the practices that are going to be helpful to try to reduce the impact from wolves are also going to be effective at, at keeping the impact from bears and mountain lions and, and other species as well. And so there's there's a, a whole bunch of different kinds of programs, different uh, tools and materials that can be deployed and administered. We don't have 
uh, those programs developed yet, but that's those are the kinds of things that we're really interested in in hearing more about in uh, in terms of what what does the producer need. You know, it's one thing for us to go and say, here's here are all these different tools, and and we're going to help you do it. What we really want to hear is is producers telling us what what they need, and and so that we're able to be responsive to their needs rather than. Uh, telling them how things ought to ought to happen, and so it's it's a it's a kind of a two-way street. And there's you know lots of producers in in the northern Rocky states again that have have been coexisting with wolves for for quite a while and and learning from what they've found as being effective tools. Some are some are effective long-term, some are effective short-term. It's all very circumstantial and and depends on you know what exactly is going on. Something may work in in one on one producer's land, but but for whatever reason for whatever circumstance that doesn't work and uh, in the neighboring landowner or the the next drainage over, so a lot of it's just going to be very context dependent and, and very, you know, developing that trust, developing those those relationships with landowners, and, and figuring out how we can can work together to to solve the problems that are that are there. I imagine before you were in this role as the uh, the species conservation program manager, you were in the field as a wildlife biologist. Is that is that true? It is. Yeah. Well. Do you have any cool stories about wolves? <laughs> well, you, the, <laughs> you know, tell us some cool things about wolves. Well, <laughs> wolves are wolves are pretty exciting. I mean, it, I, I will relay that you know, with this animal that that came down, this black animal that that you likely have seen photos of. That was was 1084, and and she's the one that that came down from the Snake River Pack. And as we were uh, monitoring for her, we did see the, the, our biologists and pilots did see. Um, this other animal that was accompanying her in, in the area. And so we we were able to, to go out and, and I was the one that was fortunate enough to, to be part of the team to, to go out and, and collar this wolf in, in early February. And, and we put a, a collar on that, the, the male that was accompanying her and, and using the, the data that we got from that animal, it was, you know, we, it was a one of these new higher tech types of collars that has GPS points on it. And so it, re, it communicates to us, it relays information and, and points to us on a, you know, on a, on a, historic kind of basis and not meaning that it's not we don't have I, I can't tell you right now where that animal is but I can tell you where it was two days ago kind of a thing so looking at its its movement and behavior and, and using that was was really influential on us being able to to identify where that that den it was and, and being able to monitor that for the for the pups and so being being part of the team to put that collar on that first animal back in in Colorado and, and then monitoring that for the den and seeing the pups is, is a pretty exciting thing. In case you're just joining us, we are talking about the Wolf Reintroduction Program in Colorado. It's a ballot initiative that passed in November of 2020, and the mandate requires that Colorado uh, Division of Parks and Wildlife reintroduces gray wolves into the Western Slope by the end of 2023. My guests joining me over Zoom are Ernest House, Senior Policy Director for the Keystone Policy Center, and Eric O'Dell, Species Conservation Program Manager for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Has a state ever done reintroduction um, on its own, or has this always been a federal program in other states? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. It, at the time that they were done, that the reintroductions were done, there's there's really been two reintroductions of of northern gray wolves that that happened in the United States. One was in Yellowstone, of course, and the other in, in central Idaho, and and both of those were done by. Uh, the the federal agencies, the National Park Service and, and the Fish and Wildlife Service. So the state agencies have have taken over management for those species for those for the wolves in in those states, but they so, did yeah. not do the reintroductions as a state agency. Those were all done under federal jurisdiction. And Ernest, uh, 
uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that there's an open house in Montrose uh, coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, July 21st from 5 to 8 p.m. Are there any other open houses in southwest Colorado we should know about? Yes, thanks. Uh, thank you for that. We also have an open house that will be in uh, Gunnison that will be uh, at the end of the week on Thursday uh, Thursday evening. Um, and uh, of course, you can also go to our website, wolfengagementco.org, and it'll list every open house that we have uh, and are doing throughout the state. You will be able to see what information is there, uh, video clips, additional education and tools to better inform you about everything Eric is saying. Eric is actually one of the ones who is uh, has done some of the video clips talking about exactly what he's sharing with you and even more in depth. And then along with some YouTube video clips that the uh, CBW have put together with experts outside of the state of Colorado, folks from Montana, Wyoming, uh, Idaho, that bring what they their knowledge and expertise to this conversation and so along with all that list it's also a one-stop shop to be able to put submit your comments submit what your uh, what the impre- the feedback that we're looking for there as well so we encourage you to to check out that wolfengagementco.org website who's paying for this whole program is it entirely from the fees from anglers and hunters Either one I'm of you sorry. can. I, I was, I was yeah, curious. Sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, who's, who's paying for this program? I understand at least some of it is coming from fees on angler and hunting licenses. Yeah, so it, it, it's a good question, and we're, we're figuring some of that stuff out. We, we do have the good fortune of, of having had a, a significant allocation of funds that, that came from the long bill from this year. So we we do have a million or so dollars to, to work on the planning process that we're engaged in, in right now. And so um, th- there... One thing I, I would add is that this is not the, the first time that the state has taken on a, a wolf planning process in, in the early 2000s, 2004, so that the state convened a, a similar type of, of group to, to talk about how wolves that move down into Colorado, that migrate into Colorado would be managed. One of the Im- really important points to, to make on that is that that group, which, which uh, presented the report that was approved by the commission, they were really uh, clear on saying that the the funding for wolf management should not come from from hunting and fishing license sales, and so it's that that continues to be. A, a, you know, we hear that loud and clear that, that seeking alternative sources of funding is going to be really important to making this uh, a successful program. So we don't have the the answers to how this will be funded long term into the future, but those are certainly considerations that that we're. Um, taking into consideration and, and thinking about, and, and we hear that comment quite a bit. It's a, it's a very valid point. Is there a price tag on this sort of thing? I mean, we talked about it being a, a blank slate. I have no idea how much a wolf reintroduction program might cost. Yeah, it, it it's there, there are all kinds of estimates, all, all kinds of ballpark estimates that are thrown around there. It comes out maybe around something like a million dollars a year as we're getting in, into this, the, the reintroduction side of things. Uh, real intensively early on as that as we you know have enough animals move down into the state and we can let them be wolves and and reproduce and and successfully establish throughout the the west slope and throughout colorado then that the cost of the active reintroduction goes down perhaps at that point in time the costs of livestock compensation and and conflict minimization those things may go up and so at at this point in time the estimates are something around a, a million dollars a year If you're listening and you have any questions about the Wolf Reintroduction Program or wolves in general, 
Give us a call, 970-728-4333, and we'll put you on the air. And you can ask your question to Ernest or to Eric. A couple of just uh, basic wolf questions. Um, typically, how how many wolves are in a pack? Uh, how many pups do um, do females have per year? What's 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 what are some basic wolf facts about how they live? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good to be curious about what what are we talking about here. So, so a wolf pack, you know, there there are all kinds of different different perceptions or definitions. What, what we're thinking about a pack is, is a breeding pair, at least a breeding pair, and, and the, generally the offspring. The, the pack generally is the offspring of those two, and there's typically one breeding pair within that, that pack, and that, those offspring will stick around within that pack for uh, a year or two, and, and sometimes longer than that. And then those that have become uh, mature enough, they will, they will disperse on their own and, and seek out mates and seek out other other packs and, and try to, or seek out other mates to try to establish their own packs. Typically, a, a, a litter of pups is somewhere in the order of four to, to ten pups that that we uh, have have seen in, in the Northern Rocky States. We've only had one experience with a litter of pups in, in Colorado, and, and we've got six pups in in that litter right now. And so that's that's right in right in the average side of things. And so. Um, you know, wolves in the wild will live. They're they're not long-lived animals. It's six, six, seven, maybe eight years in in the wild is is what we see in the northern Rockies. Hmm. Largely feed on ungulates. So we anticipate in western Colorado the the primary prey for wolves will will likely be elk, potentially also deer and, and moose as well potentially. And so, um, they are they are coursing predators, chasing their 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 prey down. Uh, whereas the mountain lions have a have a different style of of predation, where they they are more of an ambush predator. So, lots of differences, lots of similarities between all the different carnivore species that that are in the state, and uh, very very interesting animals. Do they compete uh, with coyotes for territory for prey? Will it have an impact it, on that species? Yeah. So so that's one of the interesting things that they've seen in the Northern Rockies is that there are there is a displacement. And so where there are wolves, there are fewer coyotes, and and that's one of the one of the impacts that that we may may anticipate seeing something like that is i'm always really cautious to say what what happens in the northern rockies is is what's going to happen in colorado that may or may not be the case you know wolves are they're they're uh, the, the kind of animal that as soon as you make a, a solid prediction that this is what's going to happen they'll make you look stupid so i i try to <laughs> to do my best to keep myself from looking stupid gotcha gotcha what can you give a ballpark? I don't even know if it's possible to to when we might see paws on the ground, as it were. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're required by by the ballot language at the end of December 2023. So, so by that time, we will have wolves. In addition to the wolves that have naturally migrated, we'll have uh, we'll be opening cages and, and reintroducing wolves into Western Colorado by the end of December 2023. But beyond that, you don't, you know, it might be December 1st of 2023 or it might be July of 2023. It's sort of, it's open right now. It, it is open. Mm-hmm. It, it, there, there are lots of, there's some technical considerations in terms of when are the times to, to move wolves and, and some of that. Generally, that's thought to be the winter time. That's when they were done in, in the Northern Rockies. That has to do with you know, some of the biology of, of wolves. You don't necessarily want to be trapping and moving animals in the, the middle of the springtime when they're breeding and, and having raising pups in, in the areas where they would be taken from. And so lots of different considerations. Generally, it's a, a, a wintertime thought as to, to when they're moving animals is, is most successful. 
We have time for maybe one last call if anybody wants to call in, 970-728-4333. Before we wrap up, Ernest, do you have any last words about about public engagement and uh, how and why? Well, first of all, at least here in the places we've been so far, we've seen great overall representation from a variety of interests. We know it's not easy for time to take folks take out uh, of their busy schedules, but we appreciate that they have. We hope that you will. Laura, all your questions have things that have been things that have come up in these uh, public engagement uh, conversations. And and what Eric is speaking to, we also have uh, CPW staff, Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff at each of these open houses uh, to also be able to share those insights and provide some of that specific technical knowledge. And so we just encourage folks to come out. We look forward to hearing from you and seeing you. All right, any last uh, last words from you, Eric, about, about the wolves? Yeah, I appreciate appreciate the interest. It's it's a polarizing topic. It will always be a polarizing topic. It's, it is really important for us to hear from the public. And and uh, I was fortunate to be able to come to to some of the meetings last week in in Steamboat, and we got really good feedback. And and like you said, like Ernest said, really good engagement. And and hope to that continues. And I'm I'm sure that the the perceptions will continue, and and the the perspectives will continue, and the information that we get is is all very helpful and very valuable to us as we develop this plan. So. Um, there, there's lots of expertise to learn from some of these technical side of things and in, in terms of how wolves are managed in the Northern Rockies. We're really interested to hear from the citizens of Colorado on, on what, what kinds of considerations you think are important for us to, to think about as we develop this wolf restoration and management plan. Thanks. Well, thank you both for joining me tonight and thanks to everybody who tuned in. You can go uh, find out more information about the Wolf Reintroduction Program at the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website uh, that includes public meetings and and other information about wolves. Thank you both uh, for joining us and um, we'll listen for the howl of the wolves in Colorado sooner rather than later. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Off the Record. Opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests. Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas.